0: Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Mesa Christian Church. Thanks so much. Have a seat, please. You know, as we were lifting our praise and and the, the words of the songs, I've been reading a book about the uh, about the twelfth Imam. Which some of you might say, I don't even know what a twelfth Imam is. But the the Islamic faith believes that the twelfth Imam will be the um, the Muslim Messiah, they're waiting for a Messiah to come, and, and he will come, and he will be in the form of the Antichrist. And, and as I was reading this, and I was just thinking as we were praising, here we have the giver of life, Jesus who is life. Yes. And he says, what I want you to do is I want you to accept me, who has overcome death, to give you life, and to know me, and I will give you life. And then what I ask you to do is I ask you to live for me. And if we accept the giver of life, we have the promise and the guarantee of knowing eternal life. I thought, why would anybody pass that deal up? Especially when what, what Islamic faith says is, Well, if you do enough deeds, this is their belief, when you do enough deeds, and and if you've got more good deeds than you have bad deeds, then you can have eternal life. But you're not going to know for certain unless, if you want to know for certain, then you have to become a martyr and go blow yourself up somewhere so that you can know you have eternal life. I can either have life, the giver of life, and live, or I can have death, and not even sure unless I die, and then I'm still not sure. And what are you going to do with seventy virgins anyway? I mean, it's it, it's just, I, and when we praise God as we have, it's it's like why would people pass that up? Isn't it crazy? God, you're so good. And, Father, we thank you for loving us. You said you demonstrated your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, you loved us. And you gave your son to die for us. What what love. And, Father, as we once again approach this book to understand you more, let us hear your words. For those who are saying to themselves, I don't hear God speak, I pray that they will come to a realization that the words on this page are your voice. Yes. That all we need to do is come and open this book and let you talk to us. And tonight, that's what we're asking for. Father, we're asking not for, for a message from Shirley Carpenter. We're asking that the words on the pages of this book will come alive to us and will speak to us and will help us to know your heart and know your gift of Christ and know your gift of the Holy Spirit and to walk in that life. So Holy Spirit, once again, breathe on this word and cause what comes from the throne to be quickened to our hearts and our minds. And I pray that you'll help them to be able to separate what is the word of God and what is the breath of God from what is the flavor of the water, which is Shirley Carpenter. And I ask that you will lift up your name. Holy Spirit, you will lift up the name of Jesus Christ because that's what Jesus said you would do. And Jesus, in turn, you said you would lift up the Father and show us the Father So may we walk out of this place tonight seeing just um, another glimpse, another facet of who you are in your love for us and understanding this awesome plan that you have for man. So teach us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. As Jesus was preparing to die, There was this incredible week that he walked through in preparation of his death. You might remember how it began. We're told that he came to Jerusalem, and on Saturday night, he went and he stayed with some friends, which he normally did. He would stay in a city called Bethany. Bethany, if if you're ever in Israel, you will see Here's Jerusalem and then there's the Mount of Olives and just over the crest of the Mount of Olives is a city called Bethany. And Jesus didn't stay in Jerusalem and he didn't stay where there there was uh, such tension. But he would go to this place called Bethany and, and it was the home where Mary and Martha and Lazarus, you remember those guys, good friends of Jesus, and he would stay with them. And you might remember how that Lazarus had died and and how Jesus came four days later and raised him from the dead. And so this night that he'd come, he was staying there, and they were having dinner, and many had come because they wanted to, to not only hear Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus. The Bible tells us they wanted to see this one who had been raised from the dead. And so there he was having dinner that night, and, and uh, as usual, Martha was getting dinner going, and she was getting it served. And, and where was Mary? She was where she often was found, at the feet of Jesus. But this time, not sitting to hear him speak, she was washing his feet. And she was pouring out the perfume on his feet. And we know the story how Judas was saying, well, hey you know that, that was really costly perfume what are you doing we could have we could have sold all that and we could have put money in, in the purse and he says that he said this be, not because he cared about the, what he cared about was the money because he was the keeper of he was Jesus' treasurer and uh, he was more concerned about getting more and he would take money says he would pilfer money out of those funds but that night when they started saying things to her, Jesus said, leave her alone because she's doing this in preparation for my burial. I just find it interesting that with all that, the people that were there, Martha and Lazarus and the disciples and those who had come to see this, they were all looking to the past for what Jesus had done. But there was one, just one in the room who looked to the future to what he was going to do. And he said, she's preparing me for my burial. That was the beginning of an amazing night. I want you to look at this week, and we're not going to go through the whole week, but I just want to look at the next morning. If you go to Matthew chapter 21, In Matthew chapter 21, Jesus gets up the next morning, and he starts, which is now Sunday morning, special Sunday morning, not just any Sunday morning, because on this Sunday morning was the day when, if you were a Jewish household, the father would go, and he would get a lamb because Passover was coming. And so he would go and he would find a perfect lamb and he would bring that perfect lamb into the house to live with the family, to be with the family for the next few days. And then come, come Passover, right before Passover, they would slay that lamb. And on that day when fathers were going to get their lamb, Something very special happened. Jesus got up that morning, and it says in verse 21, And when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, Um, If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting off branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now, what was Jesus doing? Well, he was doing what the, what the others were doing. Actually, it was the father. What was the father doing? He was going and he was getting the lamb. And that lamb was Jesus. And where did Jesus' journey end that day? It ended at his father's house. It ended at the temple. Why? Because the father was bringing the lamb into the house But as beautiful as that picture is, there's another picture that is seen there. Because why didn't Jesus get a colt from Bethany? Why did he go to Bethphage? And and don't you find it rather interesting that here he says, go to to this guy's place and and get his donkey and and get the colt and bring them to me. If he says, what are you doing? Just say the master has need of them. Wouldn't he say, well, who's the master and why are you taking my colt? And my donkey. But we need to understand, that's why it says he went to Bethphage. What was Bethphage? That was a particular city. The journey that Jesus started that week started in a particular place. It started in Bethphage. If we look at the name of the city, Bethphage, the name means House of the Unripe Fig. Why is that so important? Because if you look at a fig tree, what was the fig tree an emblem or a symbol of? The fig tree was a symbol of the nation of Israel. But what was the sad part of Israel? Israel had not fulfilled its potential. It had not grown to the maturity that God has for it. And Bethphage was a priestly city. It was a, a, a city that was walled, and if, if you were following the law, the law said that you could only walk so far on the Sabbath day. How far could you walk? You could walk from Jerusalem, and, and the, the, the outer distance that you could walk on the Sabbath was to the city of Bethphage. It was a Sabbath day's journey. And so the priests would live there. That way they could never break the law because they knew they could go from here to here and they would never go farther than a Sabbath day's journey. But Bethphage was not only a a priestly town. It marked the limits of the city. It was called the Gates of Jerusalem. And... And when anything beyond Bethphage was considered outside the camp. On the day of atonement, when they would slay the bull for the sacrificial sin for the sacrifice for sins, once a year they would slay this this bull for the the atonement for sin. It was the day of atonement. Do you know where they would sacrifice? That sacrifice? They didn't put it on the altar inside the temple in the court. That sacrifice was always sacrificed, as the Old Testament said sacrifice it outside the camp. That's why in Hebrews, uh, put something there and go with me to Hebrews, because we're coming back there. In Hebrews chapter 13, th- this will make. The scripture makes sense. In Hebrews chapter 13, it tells us in verse, let's start in verse 9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Yes, that's where I want to go. Yes. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods through which those who were occupied were not benefited. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose body is brought into the holy of holies by the high priest as an offering for sin are burned where burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people through his own blood suffered outside the gate. So let us go out to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. That sacrifice for atonement was outside the camp, and Bethphage marked that place. Bethphage was, uh, there was two seats that were considered this, the the political seats, one of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin had a seat in Jerusalem, but there was another place where the Sanhedrin met. The second place was in the city of Bethphage. Why in the city of Bethphage? Because there the Sanhedrin would meet, if it was making determinations on limitations, if it was making determinations on weights and measures, it was and if it was um making a determination on the for example, if it said we need to have a census, we need to find out where is our military strength. Censuses always began in Bethphage. This is a this was a not just any city. It was also the place where if a leader was being judged, his sentence and his judgment was determined from Bethphage. Why did Jesus begin his journey there? Because Jesus was about to set new limits. He was about to speak judgment. His death would not only bring life, it would bring judgment as well. It was also the place where when the festival, for instance, uh, Passover or any of those, when the festival would begin or when the new moon, every month when the new moon would come, they would signal that the new day or the new moon had begun. And you know where the first fire signal was at? Beth Phage. When Jesus said, bring me the donkey from Bethphage, and he began his ride there, he was making a statement. I am changing the order. So Jesus rides in that day, but the next day, after he rides in to the father's house on the next day something again very significant happens look at verse 18 of chapter 21 it says now in the morning when he was returning to the city he became hungry seeing a lone fig tree by the road he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only and he said to it no longer shall there be any fruit from you and at once, which actually the, at once means it, once it began, it started to die. But we, if we read the other Gospels, we know that it was the next day that it was totally withered. But at once, it says, the tree withered and began. it began to die. Now, that's kind of a strange thing. First day, he leaves from the house of the unripe figs. The next day, he comes by and he curses a fig tree. Why did he do that? What did the fig tree do? It was just being a fig tree, right? Once again, remember what the fig tree is symbolic of. And this fig tree was rather unusual because if you study a fig tree, what you will find is that when a the first thing the tree will do, like most fruit trees, the fig tree will flower. But unlike other trees where the flower will fall off and then the fruit comes, a fig will actually become the fruit from the flower. And so when there is the flowers, and the flowers will come before the leaves, it says that there should be fruit on the tree. So when Jesus came and he's hungry and he looks and it's like, wow, what a phenomenon. That tree, it's not just flowers. It's not the season for it to have ripe figs, but it has leaves. So it's giving the appearance that it's mature and it has fruit. So why did Jesus curse it? Because Jesus was saying, oh, Israel You try to give the appearance that you're fruitful and you're not. There is no fruit in you. And he cursed the fig tree. No longer would life and fruitfulness come from intently keeping the law. Fruitfulness was going to come. As I said, he set the new limitations. Then Jesus began to teach. That week was was a week of many teachings. Sometime if, if you've never done a study on that week and seen all that Jesus taught through that week, it's an amazing study. Jesus spoke so many parables to them, especially speaking about the closing of the Jewish age and showing that there was an opening of a Gentile age when God would pour out his love and his spirit to people like you and me. And Jesus begins to teach them. I want you to look at one of those parables because it's so important to us. Go to Matthew chapter 22, and I want us to see one of the parables that he spoke. Beginning in verse 1. Now, it says Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast and they were unwilling to come and again he sent out other slaves "'Tell those who have been invited, "'Behold, I have prepared my dinner, "'my oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered "'and everything is ready. "'Come to the wedding feast.' "'But they paid no attention and went their way, "'one to his own farm, another to his business, "'and the rest seized his slaves "'and mistreated them and killed them. "'But the king was enraged.' And he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to his servants, Bind him hand and foot and throw him into outer darkness in that place There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. That's a strange parable. Matter of fact, it's one of those parables. You hear a lot of teaching on some of the other parables, but you don't hear a whole lot on that one because it gets a little touchy there. There are three categories of people that are found in this parable. You have the first category of people who the wedding, they, there was an invitation that went out. An invitation. They were called to the wedding. You know, if you look at the word that we are called, we are invited. That's the word that's used for calling all people to Christ. Every human being is invited to the wedding. All we have to do is respond to the invitation. He's done it all. He's killed the sacrifice. He's made it already. The fatted calf is ready. It's all there just come. but it's amazing how many excuses and reasons people can give for not wanting to answer the invitation. Well, I'm too busy. I've got, I've got a business I have to attend to. You see, if we look at the way Jewish weddings were done, they were, they, they were definitely long, drawn-out processes Matter of fact, a wedding would last seven days. Oh, that requires way too much time. I don't have time. I've got I've got a business to run. I can't take seven days to attend your wedding. Matter of fact, there's other parables where one says, "Well, I, I've just gotten married, and I." I <laughs> It's amazing how many people, young people especially, that will say, oh, you know, we want Jesus to come, but not yet because I've not been married yet. (laughs) You know, nothing has changed. You notice that? Nothing has changed. Our priorities, priorities that were back then are still priorities today. What happens to those that totally refuse to respond to the invitation? Did you see what happens? It says in verse 7, start in verse 6. It says that, I'm sorry, it is verse 7. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murders and set the city on fire. Whoa. I I wish that I could tell you that that it's like uh, there's there's this teaching that's called universalism that's getting real popular that says God will never judge people. God will never punish people. There is no such thing as hell. There will never be a lake of fire. I don't know what book they read because it it says it pretty Clear in Revelation, matter of fact, let's let's put something there. We'll come back to Matthew again. But go to Revelation chapter 19 in verse 20. It says, and the beast was seized. We did a bit of Revelation before. And the beast was seized, chapter 19, verse 20. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who had worshipped his image. These two were thrown in alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword, which came from the mouth of him who sat on, on the horse and all the birds and their flesh. Now go to... Go to uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 20. I want to look at chapter 20 and verse 7. Satan is bound up, and it says, And when the thousand years after he's bound for a thousand years, after the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. And brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Go down to verse uh, 14 now. And it says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in to the lake of fire. Folks, you can't get away from it. You can try to rip out those, those scriptures and say it's not going to happen. We've got a loving God. I'm here to tell you we've got a just God as well. He says, I've done it all. All you have to do is respond and come. What more can he do? Go out and drag them in? You see, God isn't going to force us to accept him and live for him. That's one thing we have to understand when we're evangelizing, when we're giving people the word. Jesus said, if they don't receive your word, what do you do? He said, go out and shake the dust off your feet. Keep moving. Keep finding the ones that will respond to the call." But back in in chapter 22 of Matthew, look at the next ones. It's the next ones. He sends them out again, and what does he tell them to go get? He said, "Go, go out and get the good and the bad. It doesn't matter. Give them the invitation. Invite them to come. Aren't we glad that Jesus didn't say, just go out and find all the good people? and give them the invitation. Go out into the highways and byways, and I don't care if they're good or bad, give them the invitation. And they did. The beautiful part was the wedding reception area became filled, but there was a problem. It's filled the father looks around and he sees one man there and he says, what are you doing here? Um, how did you get in? You, you didn't come prepared for a wedding. You didn't come dressed for a wedding. What happens to that person that doesn't come dressed correctly? Did you notice are not, there's no fire involved. They're not thrown in a lake of fire. Their city isn't burned. Look at verse 13. And the king said to them, the servant, bind him hand and foot and throw him where? Into outer darkness. Not into the lake of fire, but into outer darkness. Some of you may remember the teaching that we had done on on Revelation in the New Jerusalem and that, that the overcomers that get to live in the New Jerusalem and then we saw that there are people that live outside the city. Where do they live? They live outside. They live in the outer part of the city, outside the city. It says that the that the light of God lights the streets of the new Jerusalem. The light of the sun and the moon light outside the city. You know, the Bible, it, it finishes that by saying, many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. That's an interesting verbiage because, turn with me to Revelation chapter uh, 17. In Revelation chapter 17, it's the it's when Jesus comes to fight the battle of Armageddon before Satan is bound and cast into and bound up for a thousand years. Before that. Jesus comes, and listen to what it says. It says in verse 14, it says, These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are the called and the chosen and faithful. He uses the same words if you do a word study this is the same words that's used in this parable but what does it mean to be a called and a chosen and to be dressed and made ready how do i know if i have the right garment on revelation 19 tells us what the right garment is for the wedding what is the right garment for the wedding look at revelation 19 It says in verse seven, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is what the righteous acts of the saints. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. My question is, how's our dress coming? If I could look at you spiritually, what are you wearing? Would I look and say, oh, look, the fine linen, righteous acts of the saints. You see, clothing, the first time we hear about clothing, the first time clothing is mentioned, do you remember where it was mentioned? It was mentioned in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. It says that they were in the garden, and when they took the fruit that God had told them not to eat of, it says that they took a bite of the fruit, and they said, whoa, we're naked. It says before that they didn't even know they were naked. You know why? Because they weren't. You say, yes, they weren't. No, they weren't. Because they had a garment on. What was that garment? It was called the robe of righteousness. They were in right standing with God. There was a covering that covered their nakedness called righteousness. And God has purchased for us, and and Jesus' life wove for us a robe of righteousness because Jesus never once broke the law of God, and he wove that robe of right standing. And he comes to bring us, when we accept Christ as our Savior, what does he do? He wraps us in the robe of righteousness. But you know, he doesn't wrap us in the robe of righteousness so that I can just do as I please underneath the robe. The robe of righteousness is a robe that will teach me how do I do? How do I have right living before God? Oh, that's how Jesus did it. Oh, that's how Jesus did it. So this robe of righteousness teaches me and trains me how to live righteous, so I can, so that I can bring forth the peaceful fruit of righteousness. That's what Hebrews 12 says. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. But afterwards, God's discipline yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. We talked about being fruitful this morning. Fruitfulness is not just the love, joy, peace, fruitfulness is that fruitfulness of my life becoming like his life. You see, it says in Genesis chapter 1, it says God planted the seed and, and the seed would bring forth after its kind. And if I am wearing that robe of righteousness of Christ and his life has been planted in me, it should be bearing fruit of the same kind. So when we come to the end of time, God should be able to see a robe, not just the the robe that we've been wrapped in of Jesus' life. He should be able to see that we've been weaving out of our own deeds, righteous deeds, a garment. But when it's time for the wedding, how many will... You look around and say, wait a minute, where, where's, your, where's your wedding garment? Where's your righteous deeds? You see, thank God that's not going to de- determine heaven or hell for me because we're not saved by righteous deeds. It's not like Islam that says you got to do enough righteous deeds and do more, it didn't matter if you did bad deeds, just so you do more righteous ones. Well, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I can never do enough to, to pay the payment for sin. But there is a fruit of walking with Christ in my life that it should begin to manifest. And so he says here in Revelation, and so it says he brings back with him the called, the chosen, the faithful. I'm going to do this real quick because I want us to understand what this is actually saying. What does it mean to be called? Now, to be called, if, if example, um, Tim, God puts out his call to you and he says, would you accept my son? Would you? Okay, well, come on up here. You're, he's answering the call. W- would you be willing to answer the call? Oh, come on. Jesus, Jesus wants to say, come on, answer the call. How about you two? Will you answer the call? Come on, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> w- w- would you answer the call? Oh, yes. These have all answered the call. I invited them, and they came, and they answered the call. Many are called. but there are those that are chosen. If you look at the word chosen, it, it strangely enough it actually me- means to be selected. They answered the call, but now there comes a selection. Let's say that that God comes and he says to to Rachel, Rachel, you know, I have a plan for your life and and I don't want you to be working an everyday job. I want you to be wholeheartedly, 100% sold out to me. And I want you to work, and I want to be your boss. So you're going to work totally for me. Would you give yourself to that kind of ministry? Great. I'm I'm selecting you. Come on over here. My selected one. Tim... uh, I, I would like to select you, two. Would you be willing to do that? Okay, well, you go over there to the selected one. Many are called, but there are those that are selected. You say, oh, well, that's what we need to try to be achieving. We want to be the selected ones. As a matter of fact, it, it even says, remember where it says in the Bible that God had to shorten the days in, in the tribulation, I, I mean, in the in, in the end days, Otherwise, even the elect would be deceived. Well, that's the same word. Here's the elect ones, but let me show you. It says he brings back with him what? The called, the chosen, oh, the faithful. Who are they? Watch this. What's your name, dear? I keep carrying Carrie Let's say God says to Carrie Ann, Carrie Ann, you know, I want you to work for me as a secretary. I'm going to put you in an office, and I want you to live your life like you're on a mission field there. I want you to witness, and I want you, I want you to do your work like you're doing it unto me. Type those letters like you're typing them for me, like I'm your boss. Can you do that for me? Beautiful. Matt. Matt, I want you to—I want you to sell shoes. <laughs> I want you—I mean, I want—I want you to pray over those feet while you're helping people. I mean, I want you to be the best shoe salesman. And—and and I want—I want you to own a grocery store. And I want you to greet people like you're greeting them into the kingdom. Okay? I—I I want you to do your jobs like you're doing them for me. But let's say Matt says, selling shoes? (laughs) God, there's no glory in that. Who's going to know how spiritual I am if I'm selling shoes? If I'm going to be a good Christian, I have to be in ministry. And so Matt decides he's going to call himself to ministry. So Matt, come on over here. So Matt selects himself. In the meantime, Rachel is over here saying, Being a woman in ministry is hard stuff. I mean, you always have somebody coming up. This verse in Timothy, can you explain this verse in Timothy? <laughs> yeah, I'd explain it if you want to hear it, but you don't want to hear it anyhow, and you won't hear it if I do. <laughs> and so Rachel says, Nah, this is too hard. I, You know, forget it. I'm, I'm going to go teach kindergartners. So she says, I, I'm going to go over there with the called ones because this is way too hard. So Jesus comes back and he's looking at their lives and he, he comes to Carrie Ann and he says, Carrie Ann, you have done such an amazing job. I mean, you really have worked in that office like you were working for me. I I can't believe, you know, it's amazing how many people you've influenced their lives and how many are in the kingdom because you were faithful in that office. You don't know the ones that you talked to that they went and talked to others. You have no idea of what your life did for for my kingdom. And you know something? I want you to come with me because, my goodness, you have been faithful. (laughs) <laughs> oh, Rachel, oh, Rachel, oh, Rachel. <laughs> you know, I, I, I called you and you answered, but I selected you. That's where you belong. Um, why don't you go over there and get in that selected group over there, where you belong. Yeah, go over there, selected. Chosen. You didn't believe me when I said that I wanted you to actually treat your customers like they were coming into the kingdom. But, you know, you came to church every Sunday. That's good. That's good. But um, (laughs) but, thank you. But faithful, not exactly. Matt, 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 Matt. What are you doing over here? You know how many people are going to go to hell now because you didn't do what I called you to do? <laughs> Man, if you only knew what would have happened if you would have been faithful to your call. So why don't you go over there by the called ones? Tim, Tim, Tim. You, I mean, the- you have been faithful, faithful in every way, even things that went above and beyond what I asked you to do. You were just you stayed faithful even when people pointed their finger and said, You know, the drums are too loud and this is too big Yeah. And <laughs> you know, you never let it bother you. You just smiled that smile like you always do through your gritted teeth. And <laughs> but you did it. You know what? You were faithful. So one you go up there with Carrie Ann? <laughs> I want you to see something. We still have called, we have chosen. But do you see that whether you are whether you've been called to work in the mission field, in your office, in your business, or whatever God has placed you in, or whether you've been called to be in ministry? The goal is not to be ministry. What is the goal? They both find level ground right here. Faithful. Called and chosen find equal footing when they are faithful. Thank you, folks. You can have a seat. that causes me to end with these verses. Another parable that Jesus taught that week, listen to what he says. in uh, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, it says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them, to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on a journey. Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more but he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful. Slave, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you have entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one who had also received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See what you have, what see you have what is yours. But the, man, the master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away throw out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you know what gnashing of teeth literally means? It means there will be great remorse. It's actually a a like parable to the one that we just saw before. You know, says in this one that God gave each man according to his ability. God will not ask you to do more than what you're able to do. But he will ask you to do something. And it was the slave who had an incorrect knowledge. He had a very faulty knowledge of the master. Oh, he's a hard task master. What do you mean he's a hard taskmaster? He gave them everything they needed to bring him increase. They didn't have to go out and take from their own. He gave it to them and said, Here, I give you the, the abilities. Take what I've given you and use it. I'll increase it. Oh, but I'm afraid. I can't do that. I can't do this. Yes, you can. I can't witness to someone. Yes, you can. I'm going to give you a challenge. Everyone in this room, I'm going to give you a challenge. I'm going to put a talent in your hand today. In this next week, I'm asking you to do one thing. A simple thing. I'm asking you to look for someone this week that you don't know. Don't go to someone you know. Go to someone you don't know. I don't care whether it is the sales clerk in, in a store or when you're paying for your groceries or when you stop to get your petrol and, and you go in to pay the man. Listen to the voice of the Spirit, but one person, just one, verbally say to them this week, do you know God loves you and he so wants to bless you? You have a good day. Some of you are saying, well, that one's an easy one. But there are some of you who are saying, oh, man, (laughs) to a stranger, to somebody, they're going to think I'm weird. Great. We want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Do we really want to hear that? Then can we take this one teeny tiny challenge? and just verbally bless someone in the name of Jesus Christ. You know, if we can't just do that, aren't we kind of kidding ourselves that we're going to reap all the great benefits and we're going to be hearing those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Some of you need to start exercising the faith that you have. Some of you need to, to realize that the Master's not asking you to do things that you cannot do. I can tell you that if you'll do that, it will change you. Recently I gave this this challenge, different message, but I gave this challenge out to a church. And that week I said, God, I can't give them a challenge and not do it myself. My husband and I had been watching a TV program. It was a, a game show kind of a thing where three, people were, three couples were renovating houses and the best house was going to win. There was one couple, they drove me crazy. I, my, I thought, really dingy. That week, I was in the mall and I heard this laugh and I thought, oh my goodness, it sounds like that woman on that TV program. And I turned around, and there was the husband and wife. And so I went up to them, and I talked with them for a few moments. And as I turned away, God said, no, this is the couple. Bless them. I came home, and I said to Greg, i got to tell you, you're not going to believe who I got to bless this week. And he said, no, I couldn't. And so when I told him, he sat there, and the tears came. I said, Greg, something has happened All of a sudden, the couple that I wanted to win the least, I don't care whether they win or not, all I know is deep in my heart, I'm saying, God, day after day, I've said, God, bless them. Oh, let them know that you really do love them. And Greg said to me the other day, he said, you know, something's changed in me because of you blessing them. And I find myself praying for them too. Just a few words of blessings changed this critical heart. I gave the talent that he gave me, the one one denarius or centarius or whatever it is, I gave it and he gave me two back. I'm here to tell you, if you'll start exercising what he's given you and use what he's given you, to get out there in the lost and to speak words of blessings. As I said this morning, 12 people sold out. You'll change your city. Do you believe it? I do. And I'm believing that the next time I have the privilege of coming back to Harvey Bay, I'm going to hear stories. Stories of people that have never used the gifts that God gave them never used the blessing that God put on them to bless others and that they turned around and their world is changing. Father I thank you for your word I thank you that there is a promise to those who will take what you've given them that they will hear those words well done good and faithful servant I pray for those that are in business. I ask that their business will turn around as they begin to bless others as though that business truly does belong to you and they're working for you. I pray for school teachers. I pray for those that are in business places and in offices. I pray that they will... Touch those as though it's a mission field that when they leave from this place, they know they are truly entering the mission field. They don't have to fly to Africa. They don't have to fly to Malaysia. They don't have to fly anywhere. They just have to go to work in the morning because you've given them a mission field. And I pray that Harvey Bay will know the planting of many seeds in the week to come and in the weeks to come and in the months to come and that there will be a harvest of fruit in Harvey Bay because the people have heard the word of the Lord. And I pray that, Lord, this place will burst at the seams. That I look at it already and see how much it has grown. I pray that, God, they will see that the building that they are about to build is going to be too small because more than 12 faithful people have believed your word and they're turning a city upside down. And so make them ready, Lord, so that when we come to the wedding feast, you won't look around and say, and where is your garment? But we will stand there having learned from the righteous robe how to live a righteous life and bring forth the fruit of righteousness in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.